This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So again, we have a really special service ahead for you today. And, and uh, you know, New Church Live, we've gone through a lot of changes over the years. One of the biggest changes is, is seeing more and more stuff happen online. And some people are really good at that stuff and really good at bringing beautiful new church concepts to life. To life in a new way in a world, I think, that so desperately needs them. And there's really, in my mind, where did you go? Nobody better at it than this guy. So we're super excited to have with us today, Curtis Childs. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. So, as Chuck was mentioning, my name is Curtis, uh, and I'm the director of Off the Left Eye. And what Off the Left Eye is, is we're essentially a YouTube channel that takes the ideas of Emanuel Swedenborg and discusses them with people around the world. Have you ever heard that gentleman, Pastor Chuck, talk about New Church theology? Or, yeah, right. And there's, or I mean, there's a quote that's splashed up there that's uh, by, uh, attributed to a book like Secrets of Heaven or Heaven and Hell or something like that, right? That's Swedenborg. That is, that, that's the engine that drives a lot of the experience that you get to have here on Sundays with New Church Live. So what we're going to do today is get to delve into those ideas further and see if we can't get these tools to help us navigate our life, which is like one of my favorite things to do in the world. So thank you for allowing me to do this with you. And I know you're probably like, we didn't know you were going to do that. We didn't <laughs> sign up for this. I wouldn't have come if I had It's too late. We're here. So what we're going to talk about today is peace and how to get peace. That's not so bad, right? I don't hear anybody vigorously booing that. Like, we all want to have peace. But we've got to put some blinders on that or some focus because me giving you some verbal cues up from the stage is not going to ease geopolitical tensions or stop tragedies from happening. I mean, what we're really talking about, and you already know this, is inner peace, right? How do we feel good and happy and optimistic, even though life is chaotic, right? Life is difficult. But that's not even good enough. I don't feel like that's, that's it, because I mean, you guys have felt peace at some point, right? I mean, it's happened. Even for me, it's happened once or twice, where I feel like, oh yeah, I'm okay. Even though this, it seems like I should be more upset than I am right now, I'm pretty chill. My tire pressure sensor light went on, and I don't know what it is. That's fine. It'll be fine. But um, <laughs> how's the rest of life? I was thinking if, if they gave me a survey, like a, a satisfaction survey, how satisfied are you the, with the percentage of mental states where you're in peace versus out of peace? I would say, like, this, uh, this ratio is whack. Like, we need to figure out a way. What we're really looking for is how do we get lasting inner peace, right? How do we, when those states come up, prolong them? And how can we access them? Then they seem so intermittent, so random. How do we get it so we can be doing that? And so, peace is a really cool thing, and if I can give you guys any useful tools to it, that's what I want to do. So what we want to look at, then, is what gets in the way of peace. Why don't we just have this all the time? And I know I've started this talk doing a lot of hedging, which is not a very professional way to do it, but I'm going to do it again, because I really want to give you a sense of what I can and can't, don't do and don't feel like I can help you with. So, what's this? Do you guys know that? 
I was, when I was putting this together, I was like, yeah, we all learned about that in elementary school, but then I was like, when, when do you learn about Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Is it college? Is it, I don't know. Anyway, um, what we're going to be doing today is really kind of looking at, uh, you know, a spiritual version of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, that's my handwriting. And my handwriting is going to play a pretty significant role in today's presentation. So I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. I'm left-handed, and, and that's how it goes. But what the, the concept, I don't know if Maslow's hierarchy is 100% accurate with how human beings are, but the concept that I think is so potent and so cool about that is it's saying that unless you have the basics intact, unless you feel like you're not hungry and you're secure, all this more ephemeral sort of frosting stuff, you know, the, the love and belonging, the esteem, that it's, you can't even expect to get that stuff. So there's times in life when I don't know if we can have peace. You know, we've just had some kind of tragic event or something really real has happened. I'm not going to be sitting here saying, well, if you just apply these principles right, it'll be fine. There's times everyone processes it their own way, but I'm, there may be times when there, there is just hard stuff that's just hard. However, there's a lot of times that are harder than they need to be, right? When isn't it the most frustrating, elusive thing is everything seems to be going well. You know, like you've got, you feel like in life this sort of bottom stuff is taken care of, but why can't I? Everything seems like I should be happy. I don't know, you probably never had this, but oh, I should be happier than I am right now, given the stuff. Why, when everything seems set up to be okay, am I kind of self-sabotaging? And particularly, this sort of negative, shallow, like ego-based stuff that saps peace out of what are otherwise perfectly peaceable situations, if that's even a word. So that's what we want to get at today. And we want to look at how can we equip ourselves to better navigate that. So what gets in the way of peace in those situations? And it may be that these principles apply even outside so this is a pretty important goal that we have, and I think we should get so serious about it that I think we should diagram it. So we have peace as our goal, right? Uh, and that's a pretty good goal. I don't think there's, there's much of a problem with that. So what's standing in the way of peace here in those situations? And I'm going to lead with an example that I feel like is going to set the tone, but then I would like to hear, I know, I don't know if you guys like it when I do like ask the audience for input stuff, but I'm going to try it. Um, what gets in the way? Because if we can identify the problem, maybe we can start getting towards a solution here. So an example that I love, what gets in the way of peace when there could be it? Let's talk about, um, you know, it's like, hey, jealousy. No, you know, that's not, okay. Um, jealousy. Let's say I'm here and I'm having fun talking to you guys, right? We're in the middle of this talk and it's, it's going okay. It's dark. I can't see if anyone's left yet, but it doesn't seem like anybody has. And so I'm, I'm doing fine, and let's say you guys are, are relatively happy with how it goes, and, and it's great, and it's fine. And then I'm, and I'm peaceful. It's like, okay, I came here, and I did what I had to do. But let's, in this imaginary world, let's say there's somebody else that comes to do another talk right after mine, and I'm, like, sitting there on the side stage watching it, like, and I start to notice, like, oh, everybody really loves this talk. Everybody's, like, clapping. I think somebody was, like, dancing in the aisles there, and suddenly... Am I peaceful anymore? I'm very upset. Who is this? And from something that is absolutely not a threat to me at all. What do I care if this person is happy and you guys are happy? But, but yet, this thing in me, jealousy is keeping me from peace when there could be peace. Do you get the kind of things I'm talking about? 
What's, what's something else that, that keeps you from peace? Worry. Worry. I love that. That's my favorite. This, my life is sponsored by worry. Okay. <laughs> like any other institution, if it was wrong as often as worry is, it'd be gone, you know? Like I just think back on how many times I've been worried about something, worried about something, almost always, and it doesn't come to pass. And yet next time worry starts to kick up, I'm like, well, what if this one happens? You know? So worry is there's, there's so much stuff that never comes to fruition and it's draining us of our ability to be happy. That's a great one. Anybody, anyone else? Yes. Is it like the greatest hits list? Fear. Like this, in this, I would differentiate worry and fear as, um, fear is like overestimating the threat of something or, or this is not just like low level. This is like, I, this, I'm terrified of this. And how many things that I was afraid of not only didn't happen, but, but actually turned out to be okay or even good when they did happen. All right, I know those have been awesome. I'll just add one more. Think about control or the need to control. Like how often is something going well, but it's not going my way that I wanted it to be. And so <laughs> how many times is this pen going to fall? I have like a backup one here, but I'm like, that's, uh, we should have tethered it or something. Um, but I'm not afraid of that happening. <laughs> so could, it's not going to, I, did, I was like, this pen is going to stay, this table is level, but it's not, it doesn't matter. So you guys watching, you don't care if the pen fell or not. But if I want to control it and have it go my own way, then it's a problem. So all this stuff is robbing us of peace when we should have peace. And think about how much collective joy, and there's more, I know there's more that could go on there, but how much collective joy is wasted by this stuff here, right? So we have this stuff and it's coming at us, but we're not totally helpless in this situation. We actually, we have tools that we use to deal with stuff like this, right? And I would say you could, you could very easily differentiate them into um, bad and good tools. I mean, there are, especially if you're coming here and you feel like, okay, we're trying to live spiritually and, and live by higher principles. There's certain things that we know are just like treating the symptoms in this case and aren't actually solutions. These will be bad tools. For example, jealousy, well, you just win, right? Uh, oh, I'm worried about this speech, but they say something that's really offensive and uh, everyone boos them off the stage and I'm like, yes, okay, I'm fine. I'm peaceful again, right? That's a problem. You know, obviously, that, and you know, uh, control, okay, I get my way, and then I'm happy, and then it's no problem. Everyone's happy, right? Well, nobody except me. Um, so that, those aren't the real tools. But we do have good tools to deal with this stuff, right? I mean, we know it's not like we haven't heard of virtue. Like, jealousy, you can think, um, there's a lot that you can put there, but like, you know, humility, realizing, okay, it's not all about me, and Let's, let's see what the value is in this and realizing other people have stuff in their life. I mean, there can be decent things you deal with. What, what's a good tool for worry? Trust? Yeah. Trust. And we know when you actually, trust is, a, is actually kind of a rare bird, but when you do get it, in whatever you're trusting, there's not a much better feeling than, I trust this, I trust the process. Okay, um... Control is like, um, man, what's, what's control? What's a good one for control? Ooh, yeah, that's good. I really was blanking on that, so that's perfect, yeah. Surrender. It's a long word, though, so you have this awkward time when I'm talking and writing at the same time. 
if you want to call that writing. Okay, surrender, and then, and then fear, I think, would be something along the lines of trust. Okay, we did it. We've got the problems, but we've got the tools. We know what our goal is. Actually, we finished a little early, right? We did it. We already know. Except I know that we didn't, because when I first came up here and said, we're going to talk about how to get to lasting inner peace, you all weren't like, Boo, we already have peace. We don't need to talk about that. This is a waste of time. Why is it? But what's wrong with our chart? We know these are the problems. And even if there's another, a couple in there that we missed, these are pretty good representative examples of that. These are good tools. You all just helped me come up with these tools. We know these are good. These, there's nothing wrong here. So what's the problem? Could it be that there's actually a problem here in this column? Could there be something wrong or something misdirected about looking for peace as a goal? That's what we're going to look into next. So as the band comes out, I know that the band comes out, I give them that cue when they come out. Um, I want you to really start to just think about the stuff that keeps you from peace. You personally, because we gave some examples that can apply to a lot of people, but what about you personally can keep you from peace. We start to really examine the mental landscape. That's going to equip us to hopefully apply some, I don't know if we're going to be able to get out of this mess we got ourselves into, but hopefully apply some tools that are going to lead us to the kind of freedom and happiness that, that I think you all deserve. So we'll be back for part two. Okay. Do you remember what we were talking about? All right. So... We've got, uh, oh yeah, there it is. we've got this situation that we're in, where we've got our problems, the overarching problem being that we don't get nearly the peace that I would want us to get. We've got our tools that we try to use, but really uh, the issue is that, for me, it's, it's temporary, the relief that they sometimes bring, and it's inconsistent. That There's sometimes when it seems like, oh yeah, humility is accessible, other times when I'm tr I know I am trying to be not worried about this, but I can't, right? It's not always accessible and it's not always consistent. So what can we do? Actually, we're a little bit stuck. We need some help, and we're going to get help from a very unexpected place. Because according to Swedenborg, there is this detailed roadmap for how to get past these issues in none other than the commandment about the Sabbath. You guys may be familiar. This is of Ten Commandments fame in Exodus. There's this whole treatise on how we're supposed to take a day off from work. So let, me, let me read it out loud just to refresh us on it. And how, how, how is this possibly related? Where is he going with this? Remember the Sabbath day to consecrate it. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. And the seventh is a day, is a Sabbath to Jehovah your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant or your beast or the foreigner who is in your gates. For in six days, Jehovah made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Jehovah blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. So it's poetic, right? Can be comforting, can be a little puzzling. There are some elements that you wonder a little bit about in there, and how is it relevant to what we're dealing with today? So I want to walk you through um, the meaning that we can find in this to give us this compass that can lead us out of the problem that we're in. And I want to start right at the very beginning. 
We've got, we're, it's interesting, like, remember, not I'm telling you something new, but remember the Sabbath day. And what is it to remember something? It's like, oop, it fell back here out of my mental peripheral vision, so I'm going to pull it here. Remember the Sabbath day, to keep it in mind. Keep it in your mind. And I want to read to you um, a, a quote about the psychological ripples that happen in us when we focus on keeping something in mind. So this is from Swedenborg's Secrets of Heaven. There are certain things that we constantly think about. That is, they are, and this is like kind of a weird phrase, but I ended up really liking it for what this is. They are universally sovereign in our mind. Sovereign is like it's the king of our mind or the queen of our mind. This is the thing that everything goes back to. So there's something that's really, if you had to pick one thing, your mental house is on fire, this is what you grab and take with you. These are our deepest thoughts. It's important to realize that what is universally sovereign in us has actually been implanted into our will. And the will is the love, the motivation that really makes you who you are. So the stuff we the thing we really place as this focal point in mind gets into the core of who we are. Our will is the innermost part of us because it is shaped by our love. Whatever we love, we want. And whatever we love above all else is our deepest desire. That's cool. Just, oh yeah, I, there, there may be something that really, and I may not even be fully cognizant of it, but what's my deepest desire? And another way to say deepest desire is goal. This is our goal. So what Swedenborg is asserting, if we go back to our diagram, is that there's a spot in us, and I'll call this the uh, universally, I won't write it out, don't worry, universally sovereign spot. This is the thing that's really motivating us, and it's the thing that shapes how we perceive all the rest of this, that we're actually looking at the nature of the problem and the threat that it poses through the lens of what we're really after. And it's the same way we view the tools, and it's the same way that we are uh, noting, able to wield them and noting how efficient and how much we believe in these tools. It all comes through what's in this slot. So what's in there is really important, and I will give a little disclosure for you guys here. There's times when I'm saying, oh, my, what I really want is peace, but the peace is a front for what I actually want. So to give you an example to go along with this jealousy one, let's say, like, what's really the most important thing for me? What, when its stock goes up, I'm happy. When its stock goes down, I'm unhappy. Let's say it was uh, reputation. That that's, and I, it's not like I'm always, oh, is there an N on there? It's not like I'm always thinking about that, but I do notice that when I get a compliment, that's when I feel good. When I don't impress or somebody else is cooler than me, then it deflates. That actually, peace is when things go well for my reputation. So how does that affect how I see these problems? Jealousy, it becomes life or death. Because if the most important thing is that everybody thinks I'm cool, but all of a sudden everyone thinks someone else is cool, that's very hard to let go of. And what's, is humility really something I can believe in deeply? Because it can give temporary relief, but if it's at odds with the, the primary goal, then that, that, I don't really trust that tool. I don't really think it can get the job done. So what's in this spot can really um, complicate our efforts to get to peace. And it really feels like it's such an important spot that I don't, like, what, what should the goal in life be? 
how am I qualified to make that decision? It's almost, and I know this is not how things are supposed to work, but it's almost like I wish God would just say, here's exactly what you should put in that spot. Oh, snap. We just heard that, right? You guys remember the commandment? The Sabbath. Remember, if we're talking about the remember being universally sovereign, the Sabbath is what we're supposed to keep in mind. That's what we're supposed to focus on. Okay, cool. So what's the Sabbath? Well, it's the day that you don't work. And this is, isn't this why people have church on Sunday, right? So it's, a, it's essentially Sunday, right? So Sunday. Okay, cool. So I'm jealous. Think about Sunday. Okay? And somebody's probably like, well, actually, did you know that it was originally Saturday? That is the Sabbath. Okay, let's think about Saturday. Like, I'm feeling triggered by this person, and I'm acting foolishly and selfishly, but on Saturday, I'm not going to work at all. So what it, the Sabbath is, it's obviously standing for something deeper. So what the Sabbath is, is of utmost importance there. And according to Swedenborg, what the Sabbath is, is our union with the Lord. Well, how do we get there? How do we get to the Sabbath being the union with the Lord? Well, it is interesting that you've got the story of creation that opens the Bible, and you've got all these six days we're making stuff, and on the seventh day, God, what? Rested. And it's interesting we're suddenly talking about God resting. There is a state in which not just we have peace, but God has peace, because the thing that God's really working at is when we're fighting God, that when we are able to put aside our like ego-based, um, self-centered, negative, limited goals and stop fighting God on the bigger picture, that's when we can get in a state of peace and actually God can too. Because what is the way that you most closely unite with somebody? I think not just for God, but for anyone. I, I, there's probably not a single answer exactly for this, but I think um, it's uniting with their goals. Like when you want to, to do something, you want to do the same thing as a person. You think of people that you're united to, united to by a belief in a common cause, something you're working together on a project or on a mission with people. How much does that unite? So the Sabbath is actually a call to unite, remember our uniting to the Lord's goals. What, what are God's goals? You step back and think about what, what kind of stuff does God want, right? Um, you to be happy, but happy in a way that's healthy and constructive and can grow and grow forever. God wants to take it. We, we see echoes of this in the best love we have for each other. God wants to take care of us in all these little amazingly specific and loving ways. What kind of, you guys know, what, what kind of stuff does God want? kindness? And isn't it when we step back and think about how, how, how does something higher see the situation that we begin to see the value of things like kindness flowing out there? And God, is God just interested in one of us? Right? God is interested in how can we get everybody happy and happy in working with each other? What else? What, what kind of, what is God looking for? Forgiveness. Oh, that's right. Oh, good listening, when, we, when we're kind to each other, there's a sort of like, oh yeah, that is honorable. That is good. And is God, is God 
you know, looking at our future and maybe directing things and making sure that things are going to be okay. So I don't know if you've felt it, but as soon as we start talking, as soon as we start remembering this connection, I've, I'm feeling differently about life. You start to think about life in sort of the, you know, like when the music kicks up in a movie and you see the big beauty of it all, right? When the story starts to come together. We're experiencing a little bit of the Sabbath right now because you have that shift to thinking about life more as God sees it and more as love sees it because love is God. God is the one providing love for us. So you think about when you get into that state, when you see what really matters in life, this is when we're starting to understand, okay, we're united with the Lord's goals. What really matters in life, I'm, I had a health scare and I realized how much I love my family. I want to do things for them and how kind they should be. That's the Sabbath. And imagine taking this feeling that we have here and plugging it in to the chaos of this. How does it change things? We'll get rid of this like encroaching little joke I made. How do you, how does it change things to remember that union with the Lord's goals? If I'm thinking about the, you know, this unlimited love, this caring, this, the future of the human race where we can work together, intimately supporting each other and that we're destined for this, like, this happiness. How does that change my moment to moment jealousy? You know, suddenly, I'm realizing that, oh, it's, it's not all about me. This person, you know, is somebody who else is worthy of love. I'm going to be okay because I kind of have God as like my agent taking care of life and I can trust that. How do you see humility then? Humility is intrinsic to the kind of love that flows out of that. Suddenly this stuff is no longer, I'm going to pick this up because I heard it's a good thing to do. This is like what fits with the big picture. And suddenly... It's not life or death, all of this. We can see these as little impediments that really there's so much more. This surrender stops being just surrender because you don't always want to surrender. If, if people are charging at you, you don't always want to surrender. Sometimes you want to run. Sometimes you want to defend yourself. But if you believe there's actually this love that over is, is overseeing everything and is going to take care of you, this surrender has a whole different feel to it. So this union, putting the union with the Lord's goals, because uh, in mind, that is what completes this equation. And when we connect to that, look what this does for us. It actually, when we unite with the Lord's goals, when we put this as our goal, then there's an effect. There's the peace. There's the peace that we're looking for. When we align with the bigger picture and what love is trying to do, then we get peace. And it has to be true, because how many times... Have I, in my little life, thought, oh, I really want this thing to happen, and this has got to happen like this, and if this doesn't happen, it's going to be this major tragedy. And then a few years later, like I dodged a bullet there. I'm glad that that did not happen. I did not know what I was talking about. I think one of the things that I used to, who I wanted to be like when I was a teenager, and what I thought was important, was like, this is so dumb. (laughs) Like, of course, of course I would have been in trouble if, if life had gone that way. And look at me, I'm like, what, 34? I don't know anything. I don't have any people who have put in a couple more decades with me. How much more perspective do you have then? And if you're thinking about us as life goes on, that it's not, that death is not the end, that there's, a, there's an afterlife and there's eternity, how much more and more perspective can, can we get? Of course, the only way to really have peace is to trust that the, the maker is running things as it goes. So there you have it, and that's easy, and go do it. It's easy anytime. This is very hard. 
even, even hearing, this is not, it's like you've never heard anything like this. It's very hard. And actually, the commandment anticipated this. This is Swedenborg commenting again. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Why does it have it in there? Why isn't it just like, well, just gonna, if this commandment's about the Sabbath. We don't need to talk about the rest of the week. Let's just focus on the Sabbath. No, we're talking about the work week, too. It's symbolic of the struggle that comes before and prepares us for, and this is a great way to say it, the marriage of goodness and truth inside of us. Goodness being the right motivation, the love that drives us there, and truth being the understanding of the big picture. When that comes together, that's when we can actually feel this uniting with God. This is a marriage of goodness and truth, marriage, marriage of person and God. Uh, you know, all, all the things in the universe go back to some kind of uniting. This is consistent with the symbolism of six days as a period of struggle. It's also consistent with to labor and do all your work as symbolic of doing everything necessary to live. In this case, to live spiritually or in heaven. And heaven is this state of mind that you can be working on right now that is trust in the Lord and is aligning with love. This is the goal, but we know it's hard. That's all right. That's part of it. And this is actually, we're just unpacking a little bit of this commandment here. I mean, there's all these other things. You know, especially down here, we've got, okay, you shouldn't work, neither should your kids and your pets. What's that all about? Well, these, according to Swedenborg, are the different parts of us. It's not like we're just a single thing. There's these different elements in our minds that we all work with to get into this kind of order. We remember the Sabbath maybe in this part of life when we're at work, but we don't remember it when we're at home or vice versa. We're working to pull that in. We've got these six days as the work here, but when it gets to the end, when we rest with God on this seventh day, we get the Sabbath, which is a state of peace that becomes holy. And it's something that I was saying, you can, you can pop into it and when we're there to know where it came from and what we can do to get back to it then. So you want to take that, that idea and drop it into the chaos of life here. That there is something bigger and higher and that anytime I can, the commandment's not a threat, like you have to do this. It's a promise that whenever you remember the Sabbath, you can get into this state of peace. Through, you know, it's going to be work, but you can get a mechanism so you're there. And I want to leave you with what I feel like is one of my favorite quotes on one of my favorite ideas. It's, a, it's from Swedenborg, again. And this sums up really well what I think it's all about. So within peace, and this is about the nature of what, what can we really be looking for to get us that peace. Within peace, you see, lies trust in the Lord. Trust that he is in what's God doing for us in complete charge, takes care of everything, and leads it to a good ending. Those are the three keys. God is God everything, and is not just, okay, I'll do whatever I want. He's going to bring it somewhere, as chaotic and unbelievable as that may seem, bring it to somewhere good. And what's, why would you want to work on cultivating a belief in that? What's the benefit package that you get from that? How's this? When we believe this, we are at peace. Because then, we then fear nothing and have no worries about the future to disturb us. And that's something that I would love to see happen for all of you. And it's not going to happen automatically, but keeping that in mind. The Lord, whenever I'm in some kind of triggered state, whether it's I'm getting in my own way or there is something in life that's scaring me to think like, you know, wait, 
God is here and we're intimately connected and there's something bigger and this is going to be okay. In the end, not that it's okay right now, it's going to be okay. That when, and, and, and the saying like, all right, I'm going to let you move things the way they need to be, trusting that you're, you're not taking your hands off the wheel, that you've got, you've got this, uh, this long view. That's when we get the peace. So that's what I want to leave you with. Thanks for uh, letting me talk about that. And what we're going to do now is Chuck is going to come out and we're going to have a prayer. Curtis is pretty good. <laughs> you know, I, I just, I think about this, folks, as closing remarks. I think about this. I think about words become worlds. Words become worlds. We have certain words here in the new church, and, and you know, our hope isn't just to talk about them. Our hope is to actually live them, to create something where there's this beautiful breathing that takes place. I think we live in an era so much, so much, where we're known by our forms of entertainment, not by our commitments. And you know, I'm listening to Curtis, and I'm just thinking, yeah, this is one of those services that just, it just brings to my mind the importance of commitment. The importance of figuring stuff out. The importance of thinking of bigger things. The importance of work and, and the importance of joy and the importance of Sabbath and celebration. Because, my dear brothers and sisters, words really do become worlds. And I know the new church is filled with a bunch of great words. So, thank you again, Curtis, for joining us today. And now please join me in prayer. So Lord, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for, our, for your presence through the words and through the word, through the idea of Sabbath and Sabbath rest. The idea that there is a peace, a peace that passes all understanding, a peace aligned with your love and your way in your life. As we move forward this week, Lord, allow us in some small way to do the work, the six days of work, Maybe just align ourselves a little bit closer to what your intentions are. Beautiful intentions. Connection and love and service. Maybe, Lord, just give us a breath there. Wind in our sails there. A little relief there. And finally, a little inspiration in that place. Be with us, Lord, this week. In your name, this Sunday we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 